Welcome to this Mutton Spice podcast where we are living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Sarah. In today's episode, we will be discussing our thoughts on the duet Pack Darling Parts 1 and 2 by Lola Rock. Part 2 just came out this week and we are so excited to share our thoughts about this fantastic series. Trigger warning for discussion of physical abuse, sexual abuse, attempted kidnapping, and predatory behavior. Disclaimer, please be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. So if you listened to our end of the year episode, you would know that both Sarah and I were huge fans of Pack Darling Part 1 by Lola Rock, and we were both so pumped for Part 2 to come out this week. So in celebration of this release, we decided to dedicate this episode to all of our feelings on Pack Darling. Let's get into a brief overview of the Pack Darling universe. So something that <laughs> always has thrown me for a loop is that many people put Pack Darling into the Sweet Omegaverse, like alongside Catherine Moon's books, like Baby and the Late Night Howlers and Lola and the Millionaires. And for both Sarah and I, I don't think this is a Sweet Omegaverse book because especially when you're looking at book one, this is not a sweet book. It's not. And I think it mostly has to do with people not knowing what category to put it under. You know, there's no angsty Omegaverse. So I guess people just want somewhere to put it. Yeah, I guess it does kind of fall into, like, we need somewhere to categorize this. But at the same time, I'm like... It's not uh, sweet. It is not sweet. <laughs> I Lola herself said that she doesn't consider this to be sweet omega So I feel pretty validated in my thoughts and opinions on this. Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, it probably falls just under more standard Omegaverse. Because Omegaverse really kind of standard Omegaverse is pretty dark. You know, uh -huh. you have a lot of dub con not that that's in this book, but I mean, you have a lot more darker material in standard Omegaverse. Sweepers was really kind of brought in through Catherine Moon. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people start. You know what I mean? Everybody compares every Omegaverse book pretty much to Lola and the Millionaires and how it compares. Mm-hmm. I do feel like Catherine Moon has kind of set the standard for Omegaverse now. Like, looking back, and I said this in our Sweet Omegaverse episode, Omegaverse, before it came into, like, independent publishing and indie authors, was really, like, a fanfic thing. Like, you, if you were reading Omegaverse, you were reading it in fanfiction somewhere. So, like, I feel like Lola and the Millionaires and Catherine Moon has kind of brought Omegaverse into the mainstream so now it is what everyone looks at when they're thinking Omegaverse in like indie self-publishing books yeah absolutely um and I, I think that it just everyone thinks Omegaverse it, it it falls under sweet but it is not these guys are douchebags <laughs> they really are <laughs> So this does take place in an Omegaverse world where people either fall into the categories of Alpha, Beta, or Omega. Lila is our female main character, and she is an Omega. As we are introduced to Lila in Part 1, she is living in the OCC, which is the Omega Cultivation Center, uh, where Omegas can either pay to attend classes to learn more about their designation and develop themselves, or, in Lila's case, your parents can sell you to the center. And that debt of what the center paid your parents for you becomes yours when you graduate to pay. Which is and, just the most fucked up system. And, like, a tuition basis, too. So you have to pay for the food that the OSC, OCC pays you your room and board you have to pay that all back and side note she is 23 years old uh which is pretty old to be an unawakened omega um and she's pretty much forced that on herself uh i think for a couple of different reasons one if she doesn't awaken she's not gonna have to owe this debt and if she doesn't awaken she's gonna, not gonna have to deal with some stupid ass pack 
Yeah, you see a lot from Lila's point of view in part one where she is running her body into the ground to avoid awakening. She's pretty much figured out this formula of when she starts to feel like her body is maybe going into like pre-awakening. She swims until she can't breathe anymore. She runs until she physically can't. She's already like holding herself to a point of near starvation with like the fact that she refuses to eat anything so she doesn't rack up more debt. So like basically she's put her body into survival mode so that it won't awaken is like the hack that Lila has figured out. And it's just you feel so awful for her right off the bat just seeing what she's living with because it's not just the fact that she's doing this to herself to avoid awakening on top of all of that she has the OCC filled with omegas that are out to get her at every turn and this is not like an I'm not like other girls story this is a Lila is being physically beaten in the head with a baseball bat kind of story yeah, really, Lola's creation of the OCC is one of my favorite parts of this book because um, it really puts into perspective how Mega Omegas are treated, how they have certain personality types, and just like in a society we live in, how much money affects how you are treated as a person. And I feel like that's where a lot of her bullying comes in from uh, because mm-hmm. she's a darling, which is one of these Omegas who your family sold them sold you to the center um so it's not necessarily oh they're bullying her because she's jealous it's they see her as less than because she has that darling name so we're gonna treat you like shit and get away with it and they do get away with it like literally everyone at the center is just like oh Lila got pushed down the stairs again it's another day so Lila has learned that she can only rely on herself so when in talking about the OCC, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that the pack that owns the OCC is the Wyvern pack. And the Wyvern pack is headed by these four dads. And these dads decide to pay Lila a visit in book one. And they say, listen, we know that you have all this debt that you've been racking up staying at the OCC, which we own, by the way. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you a deal. If you agree to join our son's pack, we are going to completely waive that entire debt. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And you can basically have the life that every Omega dreams of. And Lila at first is immediately like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to be with any pack. I don't want any alphas. I want to be by myself. Leave me alone. But when they give her the out, there's an out in the contract, she thinks, okay, I can stay with this pack for a few months and I can just convince them that they don't want me. And after that, I will have that out and I'll be able to have my debt waived and I can escape into the night and just be by myself. So Lila kind of approaches this pack with the mindset of this is a short-term solution to get out of this debt and then hopefully escape and be able to live this life by myself. And when she she doesn't even meet the guys at first, she meets fucking Craig. And Craig might be the worst character out of everyone, which is saying something. Uh, Craig is a beta that the dads have imposed on the pack. And now that I've read both books... Craig is really there to break them up. Um, He's really sketchy to Orion, too. Um, And we hate Craig. That's the first person that she meets. He's against Lila. She already knows, like, this is going to be a shit show. Uh, And when she finally meets the guys for the first time, you just feel for her because she's like, oh, my God, they smell so fucking good. But they are just so rude off the bat like there was no reason for them to treat her so poorly when she didn't want this either they just had all of these assumptions that she was coming in there and was this greedy omega trying to break up everything and is some hoe and they're just off the bat 
rude to her, making her live in the basement, not giving her the fucking Wi-Fi password. Like, come on, man. You need the Wi-Fi. I was so mad at them from the get. First of all, she says that Craig's, like, beta scent is wet cardboard, which is the fucking worst. Like, cat cat piss. I can't think of a worst, like, worst scent of anyone to be around. Like, maybe, like, dog shit or something. (laughs) Like... Obviously, you know, he's a shitty person just based off of that. But then on top of all of that, they just trust that Craig is going to like put everything together for her. So they're like, yeah, Craig stocked the basement. Craig put nothing in the basement. Craig arranged nothing. She's in this awful basement with no food. There's no clothes. There's nothing for her there. And she has access to nothing. And they told her she can't even use the front door. She has to go in through the back. And it's like they're immediately making her feel awful. And she feels terrible when she sees that they have an Omega already. So let's talk about the Wyvern pack. So the Wyvern pack consists of Atlas, Jet, Finn, Hunter, and Orion. Let's talk about Orion first. So Orion is the Omega who never wanted to be an Omega. He spent his whole life assuming that he was going to be an Alpha because that's what his blood test said. And he also spent his childhood with the rest of the Wyvern pack just praying to fit in and falling in love with Atlas. Orion has been in love with Atlas his entire life. And when he first perfumed as an Omega, his awakening... Atlas made a split-second decision that Orion was going to be their Omega in the pack, and they have been fighting the dads over it ever since. And at its core, this was a selfish decision, because Atlas and Orion wanted each other. But the rest of the pack, Jet, Finn, and Hunter, they loved Orion as a brother, but they were never in love with Orion and this selfish decision set the pack up for failure from the start. Yeah. And, and, and one of the most interesting dynamics in this book is that Hunter, Hunter and Finn specifically more so identify as straight. I mean, they date women. They don't ever date other men. Um, and they only uh, have intercourse with Orion during his heat jet is kind of a wild card in this book because he hates women and he hates being touched, but he does participate in his heat. Um, so I, I, I just thought that that was really interesting that they're kind of sexually fluid, but really it's not like a case by case scenario. <laughs> so Orion automatically assumes that Lila is coming in here to steal his alphas, to destroy his pack to like send him packing so because he is has it in his heart that he is a defective omega who can't keep a pack together and he just hates his life the way that it is right now and he knows that the dads don't approve of him and that they're trying to break up the pack and all he wants is atlas at like the end of the day all he wants is atlas and atlas loves orion But he's fucking awful at showing it. He ignores Orion. He leaves him at their mansion for like weeks on end while they go off and do missions. And Orion just feels so neglected. And that is like the core of their issues is Atlas has no clue how to take care of an Omega. And Orion has no idea how to be an Omega. And... That is where you start to see the shift. Orion did not like Lila at first, uh, but you see the connection between them. They're both kind of just like, wow, you smell really good for an Omega. Usually I get really pissed off when I'm at an Omega, near an Omega. And uh, Orion also sees that Lila tries with him. She understands what he needs, and Atlas never did that for him. And I feel like Orion is really the first one to kind of bridge that gap to try and be her friend. Um, but at the end of the day, Atlas was his his main concern. And Atlas just is a fucking idiot. <laughs> He's so stupid. He, if Atlas had 
like one character motivation in part one. It's just to go into every situation and make it worse. It's like every single time Atlas opens his mouth in part one, it makes everything worse. And it drives me absolutely insane. So Atlas is seen as the pack leader. And the way that he handles every situation is the way that his father, Scorpio, has taught him to. And his father has raised him from the get that he was going to be the pack leader. He had to make all of the important decisions. He had to make sure everyone was falling in line. And so Atlas has, like, made this mindset up that he's never going to take anyone else's opinions into account. He's just going to bulldoze forward, make the decisions, and he'll take all the responsibility at the end of the day. He doesn't mind doing that. But... What he never does in ever in the entirety of part one until the very end is reflect on his decisions and think about, did I make the right call? And if he would ever do anything differently. And it's that mindset of I'm just going to keep moving forward with blinders on that has led to all of the issues that we see in the pack in part one. Mm -hmm. And all of the other pack members are just so obedient to it. None of them take that step to be like, hey, man, you're in the wrong here. You're making the wrong decisions. We don't want to do this. They all just sit by idly and let Atlas kind of dig them into the ground. And even though I don't like the dads, they were right. Like, Scorpio tells Atlas, like, this was the stupidest decision you've done by bonding all of your packmates to Orion. Um, And and it was. it, It was purely selfish and that's why this pack is just so self-destructive and it's just it's not good for anybody no one is really happy and I think the king of sitting by and letting Atlas do everything is Hunter and I would say that Hunter has more culpability here because he is so aware of like the emotional effect that Atlas's decisions have on everyone and he's aware of how badly Atlas is handling things. And he's still just letting him do it. Like, Yeah, I mean, Hunter, Hunter was the first one that I like, really liked. He's portrayed as like the soft boy of like, oh, he knows how you're feeling. He can see how everyone's doing. And he's just like, okay, I'm just going to let it ride because I don't want to be the one who has to take responsibility in this situation. He... He knows from the jump that Lila has a special connection with the pack, and he just never wants to upset the balance. He takes a back seat. He lets the pack run all over her. He never advocates for her. He doesn't speak his mind. He doesn't stand up to Atlas, and it leads to the cataclysmic event that ends book one. Whew. Uh, The end of book one is rough. So something we didn't mention is uh, the Wyvern Pack, they're basically mercenaries um, and they have been going after this gang throughout this whole situation. Uh, That's what their whole job is. They go on missions, kill people, uh, and this gang has now started to retaliate uh, by trying to take their Omegas and take them out. Um, And that is what happens one day. They come to snatch um, Orion and Lila, and Craig is a part of that, because Craig is a piece of shit. Um, The fucking worst. fortunately for us, uh, Craig gets murked. Craig is no longer. Uh, Lila saves the fucking day, saves both her and Orion's lives. Their heats sync up because she's, uh, she was injected uh with what would you call it sam um it was like um a hormone cocktail that basically jump-started her heat yes so she had that and then orion then synced up with her because he's been repressing his heat because his alphas haven't been around and he doesn't know how to be an omega so that's how it starts they're both in heat the other guys in the pack come home They kind of smell another scent, but they mostly smell Orion, and they all go to the nest. Um, Lila is, like, just sitting in pain, trying to figure out what she's going to do. And uh, this is just, like, the most depressing part of the whole book. She's just, like, climbing up the stairs, 
like dragging her body up the stairs to open the door to the nest and then to be told to get the fuck out and that she doesn't belong when she is in heat and in so much pain and without her her and Orion would be dead. And Orion, since he repressed his heat so long, he is just completely, like, not lucid. So if anyone is not in fault, he is, like, the only one I don't blame. Because I know he would have he would have been there for her if he was lucid. Yeah. Orion was the only one who, like, got out of the heat and was like, holy fuck, where's Lila? Like, we've made a huge mistake. And... All of them, they just have this moment of realization at the end of like, holy shit, we fucked up so much. But the biggest proponent of, oh my God, we fucked up so much, everyone else can go to hell, this girl is mine, is Finn. Let's talk about Finn. First of all, Finn is my dog's name. (laughs) (laughs) so reading this uh like i love the name finnegan i love the name finn it just cracks me up that i just am substituting this in um finn is fucking crazy he we're it we're clued into this idea that he was kidnapped as a child and was like tortured when he was like 11 years old and then like killed his captors to escape and he has so much of a fucked up past. And then on top of that, his father is like a straight up sociopath as well. So it's like didn't really have any great role models in that department to begin with. So Finn is like dead behind the eyes. Crazy. Like he will kill you without a second thought. But Finn like latches onto Lila. And at first it's like a new person to fuck with. Like, oh, I can play around with her. She'll be a fun plaything. But then there is a shift that comes slowly where he becomes more and more attached to her. And there's a scene right before um, the Red Fangs attack the house where he crawls into bed with her and is like starting trying to start stuff with her. But Lila shuts him down. And he comes across like a petulant child in that moment where he's like, fine, I didn't want you anyway. And then he goes off on his motorcycle and the rest of the pack has to hunt him down. And that's why none of them are in the house when the Red Fangs attack. And it like I appreciated Finn for his insane energy, but his immaturity throughout this book really grated on my nerves at certain points. Yeah, he is uh, very chaotic energy, uh, and we get more of it in book two. He's he's a little bit narcissistic. He really only cares about himself, um, and he 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 grows from that. But Finn's fucking nuts. But Finn is the one who picks her up out of that vat of chemical deodorizing agent that she was basically drowning herself and giving herself chemical burns Mm -hmm. he calls her his star because she's like the only light that he has and it's honestly really cute like he the i said in part two he has chaotic golden retriever energy because he really does like he He's psychotic, but he also has this, like, really bouncy, chaotic energy to him that is really entertaining. All right. Last member of the Wyvern pack that we haven't talked about yet and our least favorite member across the board is Jet. Sarah, tell us about Jet. I hate this motherfucker. I I get that he has trauma that we have not learned about in this book, uh, but he just takes no accountability for any of his actions or how he treats anyone. And he is also the only one who is in his inner monologue understands what Orion needs, but he never voices it to anyone. And a lot of the times does not take the initiative to help Orion. Um, So to me, Jet just seems really just wrapped up in himself and obviously the kid needs therapy but I just he he refuses to talk to anybody or or get help or take any responsibility for his own actions yeah that 
The thing that bothers me most about Jet is that Jet knew Lila when they were kids because he used to go with his dad to work at the OCC. And because he knew Lila that long, he also knew how she was treated. He knew that she was abused there. He knew how she was being treated. And he still came at her with this mindset of she's just here to ruin everything. She's just like every other fucking Omega. And it's like, I don't understand how he can know her as a person as well as he did and still think that she changed that drastically. And then watch her interact with Orion. Watch how she interacts with the pack. Watch how she tries to stay out of the way and still be like, she's just here to ruin everything. Like, you're the fucking worst. Yeah, and it's not like Lila ever does anything vindictive. You know, she doesn't do anything to exact revenge on how they're treating her. She's just like, I'm just going to take it. I just need to ride out my time until I can figure out what I'm doing. And to be honest, I feel like it was such an upgrade for her from the OCC that she was willing to take, you know, the damage that they were doing to her until it came to the time of her hate. Uh, we, overall for this book, we loved it so fucking much. The ending scene of her crawling into that decenter barrel and then pulling her out and then like them rushing her to the Wyvern Clinic and her kicking them out of her hospital room. I have reread those last few chapters like five times at least. And I cry every single time. <laughs> like it gets me so good every time. It's so good. Lola Rock is a magician at these scenes. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I think that the most impressive thing that Lola did was the character of Lila. Um, because she made us care about her so deeply. And I feel like as women, sometimes we tend to judge the female main character much harder than we would any of the male characters. Mm -hmm. Um, so she just made us resonate with her so much that even though these characters did things to Lila that I have seen 10 times worse in, you know, mafia books, and I've forgiven them <laughs> instantly i think that she created such a deep connection with lila we just left this book thinking that this whole pack it needs to go in the trash like lila just needs to start from the ground up but now that i've like reread it yes they didn't treat her great but you know they're not like the worst people out there i've read worse people who have done worse things and i've forgiven them so easily <laughs> i feel like this book resonated with so many readers because of everything that lila went through at her core lila is a character who has always felt like she's never belonged and who has just been fighting for her spot in this world her entire life she was abandoned by her mother sold to the occ she was fighting for herself the entire time she was at the occ everyone who has ever shown any sort of care towards her has ended up leaving at some point. And she, in her heart, believes that no one wants her and everyone will always leave. And I feel like these feelings are something that all of us can relate to on some level. Like, I doubt any of us listening have been through anything that Lila has, like, <laughs> up to that point. But we can, we can feel exactly what she has been through looking at those feelings of abandonment, those feelings of being let down, all of those things resonate with readers. And it really has just led us to really feel for Lila and want to punch all of the alphas in their knots. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite moments in this book is when Hunter and Finn find Lila after she's been running like she's in the Olympics with bare feet. Um, and, you know, Hunter takes care of her feet and Finn feeds her French fries. And it was just like a moment that showed how much fun they could have had together and how, how bad they fuck it up in the end. Like it could have been so simple and so good, but they just got in their own way. Yeah. 
I would say one of my favorite moments is when Lila and Orion are bonding over their love of condiments and sauces and love of spicy food in the kitchen. And like the alphas come home and they see them together. And it's like, like you said, Sarah, like that moment of it could be this simple. You could have them both. Uh, I also loved when they took Lila to like the fancy dinner and Hunter realized that she didn't have any makeup. So he made them stop so he could go in and get her some. And she just looked out for Orion in the limo the entire time, was trying to make him as comfortable as possible. And it really just showed you how good Lila is, like, in her heart. She's such a sweetheart. All right. Our pack ratings for book one. Uh, From least to most favorite for me, it's going to be Jet, Atlas, Orion, Hunter, and then Finn. Mine was very similar. Mine for the end of part one was Jet, Atlas, Orion, Finn, Hunter. (laughs) All right. And moving right along to part two. Part two picks up exactly where we leave off in part one with Lila in the hospital after the pack abandoned her during her first heat. She is in constant danger. The Red Fangs are still trying to kidnap her. And they keep moving her room from place to place. She's holding hospital scalpels with her. She She's taking snacks and knives with her everywhere she goes. And Lila's just dealing with the fact that she has to find a pack now. Uh, because not only did the Red Fang Cartel try to kidnap her, they also have permanently fucked up her heat cycle. So her next heat is incoming in like two weeks. So she is now on a very strict deadline to find a pack to take care of her. So we are we have this cupcake pack where it's uh, the beta is her doctor uh, and he has alphas and they kind of play like a, a role in it all. But she really just does not vibe with them. Um I think that Lila starts to realize she's a little crazy and she likes her men a little crazy too. Um, But fuck that. Fuck the Wyvern pack. She really does not want anything to do with them. She decides she's going to go into rotation because she needs money and she needs her heat satisfied. She is still very adamant of, I do not want a pack at all i just want knots and money that is all i want um and the material girl (laughs) material girl (laughs) the only thing that bothered me is like at a certain point i was like lila like you got people out here like trying to kill you on the daily like you do need a pack like you need (laughs) legit protection like you can't just be out here like they have to move her constantly because they basically put a bounty out for the whole criminal underground that they they want Lila alive uh, and to be taken from this pack. Yeah, Lila girl is in need of some serious protection. Uh, she is right away when she is returned to the OCC. So basically the dads come and visit her in her hospital room. And when they're like, we see you try to put yourself in rotation, we're not letting that happen. And she's like, "Uh, well, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And they're like, okay, fine, but you can't go to Honeymoon Hills, which is the rotation like condo place. You either have to go back to the manor or go to the OCC because those are the only places we can protect you. And she's like, fine, fuck you. I'll go back to the OCC. So she winds up back at the OCC. And, like, immediately her first event that she has there, there are people that are trying to kidnap her again. And so the wyverns, like, crash the party and manage to save her and, like, get her out of that situation. And she's, like, coming to the realization that she needs, like, a full-time bodyguard and that it seems like the wyverns might just be able to fill that role. Yeah, so after this attempt in kidnapping, shit really goes down. Uh, she stubs her toe on, like, a gnome. It was a frog! <laughs> a frog. <laughs> it was a frog gnome. And Finn smashed that bitch up into pieces and gave it to her. It was really cute. But He goes, this... I killed it for you. <laughs> 
this leads to just a complete breakdown of this pack. Um, uh, Orion is there with Lila, and that's he has an epiphany of just like, I need to protect her. She's really the only thing that matters. If I lose everything else, I don't care. Uh, and there's a moment when um, Orion steps in front of Lila basically to stop Atlas from speaking to her. And that makes Hunter step up and say he's challenging Atlas for the pack. And since their bond is so fragile, their bond is broken uh, and they are no longer a bonded pack. It was such an important moment to see their pack bond break and see Hunter finally step up and take control and say, like, Atlas, you're making the wrong choices. You can't keep bulldozing over everyone else. You actually have to listen to people sometimes. And you need to listen to what Lila and Orion are saying. And Hunter steps up and he really just lays down the law. He tells Atlas, like, enough. You need to get your shit together. You need to learn how to take care of an Omega. He tells Jet he needs to get into therapy. He needs serious help. He he doesn't really tell Finn anything. Finn just gets <laughs> to do whatever the fuck Finn wants to do. And he gets Orion uh, into courses at the OCC so Orion can finally learn how to actually be an Omega and take care of himself. And it's like you see them finally put in the right direction because Hunter has finally stepped up and it's such a pivotal moment in this book. It is. And I will give Atlas credit at this point because he does not have a bitch fit over it. I think deep down, Atlas did not want the responsibility of being in charge of all of these people, but it was what he was raised to do. It was indoctrinated in him that this is what you have to do. This is what is expected of you. So this is kind of the first time that this has ever been an option. Um, and I don't, I don't think we had his POV to really see how he was feeling about the bond being broken with Orion. Uh, but Orion is really the one, like, he's like, yeah, I'm in the OCC now. I want to live with you, Lila. And Hunter is like, yeah, we're going on rotation of bodyguards looking after both of you. And of course, Finn has first watch. And it just, whenever we get Finn's POV throughout this book, his POV is literally just like, I want to kill everyone that Lila tells me to kill. Lila is in charge of me. She holds my leash. I'm going to buy a collar so that I can wear it and Lila can attach a leash to it uh all i care about is lila she is the only thing that matters in this entire universe that's like the entirety of finn's thought process i am still a finn simp i love a hot ginger but i feel like his groveling process could have been better like i feel like he just bought her so much shit and she was like, listen, you're making my house messy. <laughs> I need you to stop buying so much shit. Uh, and he he is more of an actions guy than a words guy when it comes to Lila. Um, and you can tell that uh, Lila feels safe with Finn, even though he's fucking nuts. She always, she's known pretty early on, like, Finn will do anything for her. I also... I desperately wanted this, and maybe Lola will give this to us in, like, some bonus content at some point, but I just want more of Hunter and Finn's friendship. Like, Hunter says at one point that Finn is, like, the brother of his heart. Like, they are so close to one another, and they just get each other, and it's mm -hmm. such, like, an unlikely pairing, and I just want more of them together. I know at one point... Uh, there was a point where Finn was like holding a knife to Hunter's throat and Hunter was like laughing and disarmed him. And then there was another point where Finn handcuffed Hunter to the steering wheel so that yes. he could get to Lila first. Like I want more of those antics of them like fucking around with each other and Finn just being like crazy and Hunter knowing exactly how to handle him. I love that relationship. Yeah, I think that... Hunter knows exactly how to deal with Finn's crazy and having Hunter in charge is probably the best way to keep Finn in check. And, you know, the, the prospect of having Lila 
will keep him in check too because that's his greatest motivation. And I think Finn is so desperate for that ultimate connection to like ground him to reality and he sees Lila as that light that will make him kind of normal. <laughs> normal such a stretch. <laughs> I mean, functioning. <laughs> so Atlas definitely sacrifices the most in this book. He um, basically his father Scorpio presents him with an ultimatum of like we want you to continue pursuing Lila, but you can't keep taking time off. We want you to, like, push Orion to the side. And uh, Atlas finally, finally tells his father no. And he tells him, I'm resigning from Wyvern House. And his father puts him on, like, administrative leave or something. And he takes a huge step back. And he takes that time to learn how to be a better alpha, to learn how to take care of his omegas, to learn how to cook and do all these things. And it's it's very sweet. But at the end of the day, do actions speak louder than words? Yes. But are also words nice sometimes <laughs> to hear like what you know that you did something wrong and what you're going to do differently? Also, yes. Like I feel like Atlas did a good job of, like, putting the sacrifice forward, showing with his actions what he's going to do. But I still wanted him to have that moment of reckoning, especially with Orion, where he sits down and is like, listen, I fucked up. And I wanted him to, like, really sit down and talk with Orion about what he's going to do differently in the future. For sure. Orion deserved, like, the biggest apology from Atlas. <laughs> but, you know, Atlas is the one that put them in this position in the way that he treated him. Um, I will say Atlas in Omega training class was fucking funny. Like, <laughs> like it was like a, like a life-size doll. And he's like, she's like, all right, pet your Omega's head. And he's like, uh, you're a good girl. <laughs> <laughs> like just doing it to this mannequin um and and i i will like he he really tries and i'm the biggest surprise from atlas is that he was so willing to quit he went from book one where work 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 i can't take any time for, for orion to a completely like body snatch moment of we are making french fries and special food for my omegas and I'm petting their heads and telling them that they're good boys and girls. <laughs> he did a 180. Uh, he really did. His dom energy though, when mm -hmm. he's with them both, I got to say, <laughs> I liked that scene when they were both on his lap. Uh. I think that that was my favorite spicy scene in this book. That was that was a good scene. I also I loved how Atlas like didn't touch Lila at all. Like he let Orion do all of like everything for Lila. Like I I liked that p dynamic of it. Yeah, and and o Orion was the first one that Lila let touch her. Mm -hmm. You know, she he made her feel comfortable and you know, he was helping her through her heat. And I think that what we kind of learn in book two is that Orion is a different type of Omega. You know what I mean? I think it goes to show that different Omegas have different needs. And when he bonded with the whole pack, he thought that he was following the right path when in actuality he didn't really need that. Because you watch and see how much he loves tending and caring to Lila like that brings him the biggest joy which isn't necessarily a standard omega trait yeah it definitely becomes clear that the bond was worse for Orion than it helped him in any way and being free of that bond and being able to be there for Lila are were like two of the biggest shifts for him in this book all right let's talk about the elephant in the room <laughs> We need to talk about Jet. So Jet was our least liked alpha at the end of book one, and he had a lot of ground to make up in this book. Sarah, how do you feel as though 
Jet did in this book. Not great. I'm sorry. I still don't like Jet. I, I just, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. I think maybe, uh, I just feel like we didn't get any sincere apologies from Jet. You know, it, like, he, he, of course, did, like, the actions thing. You know, towards the end, like, the whole ponytail scene, that was amazing. I love that. Like, that's excellent groveling, Jet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel, I just feel like he never, he just never took any responsibility for anything. He just still kind of blamed everything on his trauma. Um, and you can have trauma, and that can really mess you up, and it can change how you act about things but at the end of the day it's not an excuse to treat people poorly um I feel like he really needed to say hey I am in therapy this is what happened to me and I'm really sorry that I treated you like this I should have known better um and I just don't know about the collar my guy I don't know about the collar I don't know how I feel about it (laughs) there was this moment of realization where Jed's dad Hikaru comes into the OCC with Lila and, like, hands her her file. And Lila realizes that her file has been completely doctored. Like, it's all wrong. Including the fact that they, like, had her staying in, like, this suite. And she was not supposed... She was not staying in a suite. She was in a laundry closet. And then on top of all that, all of her, like, discipline records were wrong And, like, they didn't really actually outline the things that have happened. So she went through with Hikaru line by line and fixed everything. And then Hikaru presented the fixed file to the boys. And Jet has this, like, moment of realization of, like, I was wrong about everything. I thought that she had changed when I read her file initially. But she's still the same person. She's still that girl that I knew. And it just left me, like, you... You trusted a discipline file from a known corrupt organization more than the girl that you were seeing right in front of your eyes. Like, you saw Lila for who she was. You saw how she was presenting herself. You saw how she acted with everyone. And you were still going to trust that ridiculous discipline record over, like, the actions that you're seeing. It just didn't make any sense to me. And then on top of that, we never really get that moment where Jet is like, I'm sorry. Like, I, he was the worst one. And I wanted that moment of him being like, all we got really was him being like, I don't deserve you. Mm-hmm. I'll never deserve you. Like, you should just kill me. And it was like, I hate that. Like, that is like the, the guys who turn it into a pity party instead of owning up to their shit. Like, that terrible ex you have that's like, I'll just go kill myself because nobody loves me. (laughs) Like, no, fuck you. You did something shitty. Own up to it. Like, take responsibility for your actions instead of making it a pity party for yourself. That's what I wanted to see happen. I also feel like Lila held him, like, the least accountable, too. I feel like she forgave him pretty easily. I feel like... It wasn't even real forgiveness. It was like, oh, Jed is so sad and broken. I just feel bad for him. (laughs) That's what it read like. Like, she just, she didn't have the will to be angry at him because he's just such a sad boy. Yeah, I feel like their connection out of the pack, too, it, it, I, I just didn't get it. You know what I mean? We had these other, like, really special moments with pretty much everyone else. Uh, but Jet just was kind of just always on the outside, um... And just, just didn't do it for me. I, I just still don't like him. Yeah. I forgive everybody else. I forgave everybody else by the end. Uh, but Jet, Jet could go find another pack. (laughs) (laughs) All all the other ones, I'll keep all of the other ones. Jet can go find another pack. Uh, So there was this amazing moment where Hunter has this idea uh, that the Wyvern, the Wyvern house has a fight night every week where people are able to challenge each other. And Hunter has this idea that they should challenge the dads for basically fucking with their omegas. And I loved this scene so much. It was everything I wanted in terms of, like, the sons finally being, like, 
th- part of this is on you. You fucked up this situation too with how you handled us and how you raised us. I also love the fact that fucking Finn and his dad were just using it as a time to like fuck around <laughs> with each other with knives. Like I loved this scene so much. I feel like this was like the epic grand gesture of groveling of we're sorry we treated you like this. <laughs> Our dads are part of the problem because they raised us like this and we're telling you in this moment that we are not going to be like them and we're going to be better. And the fact that Lila was watching this happen with another pack that's courting her made it 10 times better because she just was not feeling them. She digs the crazy and she was watching it unfold. Uh, and our girl got in the ring herself. She was like, it's time to, you know, throw some hands and let people know what's up. To try to exact some revenge. Much needed revenge. Yeah, it was good. It was a quality scene. So this book wraps up with Lila being taken again. Um, (laughs) And she ends up on a yacht in the middle of the ocean with the leader of the Red Fang cartel and the Omega that terrorized her the most at the OCC. And she finds out that this... Uh, the reason why she was terrorized so much at the OCC is because the Red Fang Cartel has been targeting her for years because they saw her as vulnerable. And basically, she has to fight for her life on this yacht. And she ends up coming out surviving, and the boys rescue her, and it's a happy ending for all. It's I like the way she wrapped it up plot-wise. I felt like it was a very satisfying ending. I loved that... Lila was the one responsible for ultimately killing the leader of the Red Fang Cartel by drowning him. And I just felt like it all really worked out symbolically. Absolutely. Uh, You know, all of those long swimming lessons definitely paid off (laughs) for Lila in the long run. Uh Um, And uh, I thought the epilogue was cute, too. Um, I could have had some more spice. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think... I I feel like there's a fine line, and I know we don't always agree about this, but there is a line where a story can be, like, cumbersome with too many sex scenes where it just feels mm-hmm. like, okay, we get it. They fuck a lot. I I feel like she was really trying to ride that balance of, like, getting plot in while also having some spicy scenes in there. Um, I, I would have been fine with one or two additional I, smutty scenes in there. I don't think that would have hurt anything. I really wanted Hunter and Finn to tag team her. That's really down the deep root of what I wanted. I wanted them to take her to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> because like you said, like, they're like best bros and, and I feel like Hunter was really, really trying. <laughs> I just wanted I just wanted Hunter to get loved on some more. I agree. I agree with that. I wanted him to get some more smooches and stuff. I give him smooches. I let's talk about our favorite moments. So my absolute favorite moment we already talked about was when she was running away from the Red Fan Cartel people and she stubbed her toe on this ceramic frog and she like let out this sound that like made them all stop fighting because they were so worried about her and she like limps over to a bench and sits down and the rest of the alphas are like trying to like get over and make sure she's okay and Finn sneaks up behind her she doesn't even see him coming and like presents her (laughs) shattered pieces of this ceramic frog and I was like I killed it for you and it's like (laughs) peak psycho golden retriever energy I loved it so much I also loved that she decided to bite Orion first Orion was the first person that she like inducted into this mini pack that they were creating and I felt like it was just such a cute moment of them like spending the whole day together and it just really solidified the bond between them and I loved it so much. They were so cute together. I love Orion and Lila together. They are just like a perfect match just looking out for each other. Um, They're just 
so cute. And, like, when she has the heat spike and he's there for her doing, you know, naughty things for her. And she just feels safe with him. Um, and I'm glad that she had that. And if they didn't have Orion and it was just the pack, I'm pretty sure Lila would have ran away and left these motherfuckers high and dry. A hundred percent, yes. Without Orion, she would have found a way to get away from everybody. There's no way they would have made it work without him. He... They might have unbonded him, but he was the glue that they needed to get her into the pack. Oh, and my favorite scene, uh, if you haven't tell, I am a hunter simp, and I love the scene where he is showing her how to drive, and she is sitting on his lap, and they have the seatbelt, and she's going, like, five miles per hour, like, going <laughs> so ridiculously slow, like, where there's no other cars, um, I just thought it was really cute, um, and I want, I just wanted more cute moments for them, because, you know, I'm greedy like that. I just love Hunter. I did. I did want more cute Hunter moments just in general. I feel like I wanted more cute Hunter Finn moments. I wanted more cute Hunter Orion Lola or Lila moments. Like I wanted, I wanted just more of those pack interactions. I wanted to see them just like living with one another. Yeah. And I wanted Hunter and Finn to take Lila to Paris. (laughs) We just wanted more Hunter. (laughs) final pack rating for after the duet go jet atlas finn orion hunter mine is exactly the same jet atlas finn orion hunter (laughs) and and orion and hunter are like really close like they're like tied for first they're they're like tied but like hunter just he just does it for me i like the way he went in there took charge all right now overall thoughts on the duet Overall, I absolutely love this duet. It's so well done. Um, and Lola did an amazing job of creating characters that you absolutely love, that you absolutely hate, and then you absolutely learn to love. As I said before, Lila is one of the best female main characters I've read. I love her inner monologue. You know, like, what is it? Like, jealous bitches get stitches. <laughs> um, and just, like, the little anecdotes that... What word am I trying to say, Sam? Anecdotes. Anecdotes. Yes. (laughs) That she says throughout the books. Um, I I feel like this is a new staple in the Omegaverse world. I I think we're going to need to come up with a new name, like the Angstaverse. You know, like (laughs) something like that. Towards the end of book two, you definitely get that sweet Omegaverse vibe. Um... But I, I, there was just a lot of tension, a lot of groveling, and I really enjoyed this series. I think that as a baby author, I don't think you could have asked for, like, a better first duet. I think Lola is amazing, and she should just be so proud of herself for the world and the characters that she was able to develop. And just the time and love that she has put into the series. And I'm so excited to see what she does next. She did leave it kind of open-ended that she could expand. All right, let's talk about what we were reading. I read the first three books in Jamin Eve's Shadow Beast Shifter series. I really enjoyed them. Um, There's something about the way that Jamin Eve writes. This is my second series I've read by her, and I just, her female main characters make me laugh. I really enjoy them. It's, and they're really, like, fast-paced reads. I also read Mafia Mistress by Mila Finelli, which was, dear God, it was so good. And it, it leaves off on a cliffhanger, and book two isn't out until the first week of February. I had to message her on Instagram and just be like, you're amazing. You should be so proud of this being your first book that you released. Like, it's so good. Um, and I also read Sing Me to Sleep by RM Virtues. And Sarah and I were buddy reading the Dragon Shifter Mate series. I read the first two books, and I plan to return to it. Uh, that's by Eva Chase. But currently, I am trying to finish A Shadow in the Ember 
by JLA. And then after I'm done with that, I have a feeling I will return to the Dragon Shifter books. Sarah? Uh, So I am not being a great reading buddy right now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just have so much going on with writing and feeling better. Um, But I am almost done book one. uh, And we'll see how it goes, if I'll read book two or not. Um, I don't know what I'm planning on reading after this, but some of my favorite reads lately were Come to Daddy and Lap of Luxury by Brianna Hale, uh, which I told Sam she absolutely has to read. Uh, Come to Daddy is 100% going to be on the Daddy episode. Uh, (laughs) I I loved it. The way that... uh, like a sugar daddy sugar baby relationship uh is explained in that is just so good I, and, and in the second one he's just like an absolute kidnapping psychopath and i sent sam screenshots and she's like yeah i'm gonna need to read that psychopath <laughs> um and i have also been on a jessa kane novella kick not a surprise she's got a lot of daddy kink in a lot of her books uh if you have not read jessa kane it is a wild ride um, the plots are not always going to make sense. Everything is going to be over the top, but you are going to be there for that ride and you're not going to stop. I've read like uh, four or five of her novellas this month. Um, I, <laughs> I've, I really enjoyed them. Um, and then other than that, just, you know, writing, living the best life. And I plan on reading Mafia Mistress, but I, I, I can't live for that uh, cliffhanger. So I'm going to wait. I would definitely wait because it had me. It had me in its clutches. It was a hell of a clutch. I'm going to wait. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Smut and Spice. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. We'd love it if you would share our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, reach out. We would love to have you. A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and to our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening.